I'm very proud of myself because today I did a hardware uh, mod to a thing for my Mac Mini. Wow. That's mm. that's pretty full on. Did this you, did this you coming like... from a dude who the last time he tried to make uh, an LED work blew every single LED he had. <laughs> so how's your Mac Mini? In one piece and actually working the way that I was I was wait wanting it to. That's incredible. What did you modify? Uh, so technically, I didn't modify the actual Mac. I, I modified an adapter that plugs into the Mac. All right. So you know the the old school uh, VGA port to Mac uh, to Mini Display Port adapters. Yes, I have like several of them lying around. Yeah. Um, I took one of those, and I took an eighty five ohm, well, eighty two ohm, but close enough uh, resistor. And I see you lost me at at that word you said after the numbers. Okay, so ohm is a unit of measurement that I have no idea what it means. <laughs> this is OHM, right? Yeah, I've yes, seen, it, seen ohm, it somewhere. Yes, OHM. We really need Ben today. He's gonna ben, s- ben would have been able to explain what this actually is doing. He's going to be shouting at I have the, uh... absolutely no idea what this any of this stuff means. Mm. I took this resistor and I plugged each end of it, one end of it into pin one and one end of it into pin six of the VGA end of the adapter. Okay, it's a, you must have been following some instructions. I was here, following or you just instructions. Had, I didn't just do this randomly. <laughs> just like, I wasn't just I don't like, know what this wonder is. what this does. <laughs> <laughs> um, I plugged it into the adapter, and um, then plugged the like taped it down so it wouldn't kind of move about or fall out or anything, and plugged that into the Mac Mini. And now it thinks it has a display plugged into it. All right. Uh, but doesn't. It's because yep. it's headless. Yep. Uh, and so when I access it via the network, like via VNC, yep, it uses the GPU to render instead of the CPU, which makes it just a little ah. bit, a little bit speedier. There you go. So yep. I was trying to figure out why you would be doing this, but that makes perfect sense. Yeah. So if you're running a Mac Mini headless, um, it's not using the GPU because right. there's no well apparently nothing plugged in. And I saw somebody, somebody on my Twitter timeline today retweeted a, or posted an Amazon link for an actual thing that you can plug into a HDMI port, right? Yeah. But my Mac Mini is from 2001, yeah, v- Space Odyssey, and it's like it doesn't have HDMI at all. It yeah. has like some random old school like uh, VGA Connect. port that wow. uh, that. Apple had come up with that yep. looks really weird and one of the mini mini display port ones. Yeah. And so I can't use a HDMI one or if I do, I have to plug it into one of these things anyway. Yeah. Anyway, I had one of these adapters. I have like two more of them, I think, just yep. sitting in a so box. So you just thought you'd have a go. So I pulled it out, bought a packet of resistors, which cost grand total of 45 cents. Wow. How many resistors in there? Ten? Four and a half cents each. Ten, ten, I think. Yeah, yep. and it's expensive. Um, yeah, no, it uh, it really killed my life savings. Um, so how do you know that it's doing anything at all? Because when I plugged into plugged it in, yep. the screen size went from being like the size that I had it set to, to being like tiny, and I could it actually just gets picked up as a VGA display. All right, so it is working. Cool. I 
kind of did a hardware mod. Yep. Well, it wasn't really a mod at all. Well, neither was mine, really. Mine, like, my... mine was plugging one resistor into a VGA board. Yes. I think this, the difference is, in my case, um, I did with the hardware what was intended by the manufacturer. Oh, right. But it felt a bit like a mod because it felt weird. What were you doing? I put a battery in my new phone. Oh, right. Because um, this, uh, this new fancy yellow... yeah. Thing I have a Windows it is, phone. It phone. is very yellow. It's like, lovely. They asked me if I wanted a black one or a yellow one. I'm like, what, are you kidding? Why would I get black? That yellow one. I feel like that yellow one. You could you could staple it to the back of your car, hmm. and it would work well as a like a reflector. Like a reflector if yeah. if for some reason your rear lights went out. <laughs> that may actually be what I end up doing with it because I can't do much else at the moment. But right. yeah, I have a Windows phone phone and um, it was really quite an interesting process getting it. Yeah. So it's a Nokia Lumia 520. Um, Something that's incredibly impressive is I purchased this outright. It runs the latest versions of Windows phone. Windows phone 8 uh, ships with Windows phone 8 capable of running Windows phone 8.1. Uh, dollars $150, Australian dollars. So it doesn't outright doesn't ship with the latest. It ship with ships with the almost latest. Almost latest. Yep. Yep. Good. It's probably been in the box, but it's capable of running eight point one. I've updated it. It is running eight point one now. All right. Cool. Um, but only one hundred fifty dollars outright. So yeah. Okay. How much is an iPod Touch? So that's outright, like not even, not no. even like on a contract. Or no, anything. no contracts. There's no SIM card in it. I just I own this now. It is a phone. I could put a SIM card in it. Wow. $150? Yeah. Wow. That's like there is no iPhone at that price, right? Okay, but but the question is like is it $150 for a device that does nothing? Because there's not <laughs> like my understanding is there's not a lot out there as far as software for it. Well, there's built-in software you can surf the internet. <laughs> you can get play, that on an iPod, right? Place and receive phone calls? You could you could you right, you could okay, an iPod can't place and receive phone calls. Mm. Yeah. Um, send and receive text messages. Yes. Good. Uh, navigation, turn by turn navigation. These are high end, high end pieces of functionality right here. I sense your cynicism. <laughs> um, it was an interesting out of box experience, though. I, I feel a slightly ashamed, well, quite in, a large amount of shame for my out of box experience. I, um, I took it out of its box. And maybe it was because I had this preconceived notion that I was buying a Windows phone and it was going to be a disappointing experience. So I went to press the power button and nothing happened. And I'm like, <laughs> that'd be right. Yeah. They don't even bother shipping it with any charge in the battery. Yeah. Unlike Apple, always ship their devices with plenty well, of charge. Most devices, I think, come with, like, if they've got the battery in the device, they come with charge in the battery, right? So that would be the key point if they've got the battery in the device. <laughs> <laughs> right. So it doesn't have a battery in the... Right. No. I plugged it in, though. Yeah. Thought I should charge it. Yeah. And then I, you know, after about 15 minutes and still nothing happening at all, I'm like, something's going on. Okay, i got to look at the manual. So I opened the manual. Did you put the battery in back to front or something? Oh, no, I still didn't. I hadn't, hadn't put the battery in at all at this stage. Oh, what? <laughs> oh, right. So that's why I wouldn't be working. <laughs> I find the menu and the menu is like, right, getting started. Step one, plug it into charge. This may take some time. If the battery's been fully discharged, it may be up to 20 minutes before you even see a battery indicator. I'm like, yeah, okay, well, it's been 15. I'll let it go. Well, to be, fair, to be fair, that's, that happens with iPhones yeah, and stuff as well. Yeah. So, so I left it a bit longer. Yeah. 
about 45 minutes later, I'm like, okay, there's something not right here. <laughs> this is just wrong. <laughs> Let's have a look again. Still nothing about any battery, but there was a little diagram in the little tray it was sitting in that yep. shows you how to put a SIM card in. Oh. And to put a SIM card in, you've got to um, you've basically got to flex and twist this plastic cover. Like, oh. just wrench it open. Like, there's no... Okay, so I'm watching you do this, try to do this right now, and it looks difficult for starters. And painful. Uh, but also, like, if you did this to an, any other phone, I feel like it would feel like you were breaking it. There we go. There we are. Got it. Uh, and there's, that's when I noticed that there was no battery in it. Right. So, of course, I went and found, found one and plugged it in. And it, um, it actually had some charge <laughs> turned on straight away. I suppose um, if this was going to be your regular phone, you probably would have noticed that fairly yeah, quickly. Because I would have put, put a SIM card in it. Yeah, I just don't intend mm. to put one in this one. Um, so, does that count as a hardware mod? I, would, I don't think <laughs> probably so. Probably not. <laughs> um, uh. Despite having a battery in it now, I've... I was it's really still, excited. It's still useless? Well, I was really excited. I was hoping I could come and we could spend this whole episode talking about Windows Phone development. <laughs> um, and I got this on Thursday, I think. So I've had a few... You've had a few days. Four days, three days. We're recording this on a Sunday night, so mm. several days, yeah. Several days. Um, so far, I've been struggling. Yeah? Mm. So how are you developing? Because you've got a Mac, right? And you need vi- Visual Basic? Visual, visual Studio. Visual Studio. Yeah. Sorry. I don't know what I'm thinking of. So um, I should explain why I've got this. First step, I'm not really intending to become a Windows Phone developer. Um, I've been asked to quote on an app where there's an existing Windows Phone version and they want an iOS version. And so you're going to port? Yeah, basically port slash re-implement. So, you know, obviously it's not going to be a straight port. Windows Phone UI and an iOS UI are substantially different. Oh, that, that depends on whether or not you're the developer of Skype or not. So Skype looks the same everywhere, does it? Well, yeah. I opened it up the other day. Um, actually, I opened it up to do like pre pre recording testing for our episode with Basil, right? Uh, because the trick to testing my Skype setup to make sure that everything is working a okay is that I call myself, yeah, from one account to the other. Okay, I have two accounts. Uh, and I opened it up and I got this vid- video of like. Oh, look how cool Skype is now. It looks just like Windows Phone. All right. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Uh, it's like re-engineered for iOS 7. I'm like, mm, no. Okay. That's they did put their Windows really, Phone version to Yeah, iOS. it's pretty much the same. So I don't, I don't think I'm going to do that. But even so, I think it'll be useful to be able to see at least the uh, Windows Phone version running on a phone. Yeah. Haven't got that far yet either. Um. And perhaps also the source code, you know, to see how it's dealing with network calls and things like that and any logic that might be in the app, having to invent it myself from first principles. Well, Ben Ben would be useful for that, wouldn't he? I mean, because you do, like, you work with Ben, and so, you know, wouldn't Ben be useful for that, given that he used to do .NET or something yeah, back Yeah, probably, in the day? probably. I think yeah. we could. And I've done bits of C Sharp. I actually really like C Sharp. We've been using it um, with another client using Xamarin. C Sharp's really nice. So I was kind of, I was like... I don't think I would have gone and gotten a Windows phone or Visual Studio for it if I didn't have a good reason to. And this project yeah. gives me a good reason to. Yeah. And having done so, I was excited about having a play with it. But um, unfortunately, the process of getting up and running has been so painful. My excitement has completely gone. And now I'm just depressed about the whole thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm, I've, I ended up installing Windows on VMware on my Mac. Yep. Runs incredibly slowly. I'm not sure that was a good idea. 
um, got like it took about a year to download Windows oh, and to install it would have taken like two or three. Yep, and then yeah. to download and install Visual Studio. Yep, and I still can't even run Hello World uh, wow. because the simulator doesn't work. And I'm guessing um, it was complaining about some hypervisor process not running. I think it could be because I'm trying to run a virtual machine in a virtual machine. That could be problematic. Mm, that probably could be. But I think the Windows Phone emulator is a virtual machine, and yep. if I'm running it in VMware... You might have to boot camp. Yeah, maybe. Or, or I could run on the device if I could get any apps to run deploy to my device at all, and I can't. I'm just getting some weird, random error message that says, please contact your software vendor. Well, look, let's be honest. Let's let's you know see this this thing from both sides of the coin. At least you managed to turn it on. <laughs> <laughs> After I got the battery in. Um, but I did actually, so I, I took some notes because um, there was some stuff that I was kind of impressed with about Windows Phone. Yeah. Like this, for me, this is the realization of a long running dream of having a good reason to play with it because I've kind of seen people talk about the operating system in passing, seen bits and pieces of it and thought, actually, there might be some really nice things there. I'd like to spend some time with it and learn more. Yep. And that's turned out kind of to be true. So there's some stuff that in Windows Phone that I think is nice. So I can see um, where some things may have inspired features in iOS. Like it's got that, um, you know, how iOS 7 brought in that sort of one or two pixel progress bar for the web browser loading. Right, and it runs along the bottom of the... Yeah, yep. it's got the same sort of thing right near where your, you know, your address bar, there's a sort of pixel, one pixel that runs across. To be fair, it doesn't like Android... Have that as well. Chrome do that. See, I don't know who got it first. Who took it? Who inspired whom? I think they all kind of inspire each other. Very intermingled. Yes, I think I think that's probably the case. Mm. Um, the other thing that I I like, and I think Apple do it as well, is they um pick up the color right. So you were saying I bought a a yellow one. Yeah, Uh, that yellow has been picked up throughout the OS. Yeah, I think I think they do that with the five C. Yeah. Yeah. And also um, iPod Touches. So if yeah. you get a color, I've got a pink iPod Touch. And um, when you launch it, you get a pink uh, lock screen and springboard image. Okay. Is that and based on the wallpaper or just based on the... Based on the wallpaper, yeah. Okay, so you get a pink wallpaper. the wallpaper come, that comes with is the color of the phone. Yeah. Mm. And then because iOS 7 has like lots of layers of translucency, you see that. You see that throughout, sort of through everything. Yeah. Um, and I think Apple's way of doing it is a little nicer and a little bit more subtle. With Windows Phone, it just feels like I'm being hit with a yellow. Oh hammer. wow, that's just yellow blocks. It's just yellow everywhere. So that's the so the tiles in the in the start interface. I don't even know, what is it Metro? What what is that inf- interface called these days? The Windows Phone phone design. <laughs> Windows Phone style. <laughs> yeah, that's that's phone, really. Great. I don't know because it's it's actually but also all the tiles, Windows. All the tiles are yellow except yeah. for one or two of those. There's, yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a red and, one there. And somewhere. everywhere, all the UI controls like. Keyboard, the key highlight color is yellow, yellow for the progress right. bars, yellow for everything. Right, so it just basically picks it up as like a highlight color. Yeah. Mm. Um, and I th- so I think that's a little bit too, it's, it's not very subtle, mm. um, but interesting. Uh, what else did I think was kind of interesting? Yeah, well, so most of all, I'm actually disappointed. It kind of feels like I felt up until I used Windows Phone, Right. I kind of felt like um it was this really nicely designed UI that was completely authentically digital, I think is the phrase. Well, that's what a lot of people say about it, right? Because it's because it's so different to what 
Android and iOS are doing, which, right, to was, be fair, are similar. Yep. It was entirely novel, and it was not trying to make any reference to things outside of the world of computers. It's just mm. these are pixels on a screen, and they've, they're internally consistent, um, but not trying to say this is like something in the real world. None of this, um, wow, the world, word's gone from me. It's been so long since we've been talking about it. Leather, wood grain. Oh. <laughs> it's gone from you too. <laughs> so editing this out. <sighs> skeuomorphism. That's the one. So no skeuomorphism okay. at all. So I was kind of excited to be able to play with it because I had high hopes for it. But it actually feels really dated since I, like, I think when iOS 6 was the OS I was using, Windows Phone seemed futuristic and cool. And now mm. that I'm using iOS 7 and 8, Windows Phone feels kind of daggy and old. So maybe it's maybe I'm not judging it fairly because I'm using the most low-end Windows Phone device you can get, and it's like a really low resolution and kind of slow processor. Um, but it just feels like so minimal in the design um, that it's not minimal in a nice, polished, elegant way, but it's minimal as in a really simplistic because we can't actually manage anything more than flat colors and... Um, yeah, lots okay. Of text. Look, can you can you do like like wallpapers and stuff like you can on look, other devices? I haven't really played with it. Mm. Um, but maybe that a, would do the job. You know, there's a lot of screens that just look like black and white text, like uh, white text on a black background, mm. and it feels really uniform. Like you can't really tell the difference which part of the OS you're in or which app you're in because everything looks kind of white on black with little bits of yellow because my phone's yellow. Um. Anyway. If there are some Windows Phone fans out there, please tell me how I'm completely wrong and what I should be looking at to get the sort of see the best of Windows Phone. Indeed. Um, I am determined to play with the dev tools a bit more because I'm I'm interested. So I'm going to persist and see if I can get apps running somewhere, either on the simulator or on the device, and um, report back as to... Because I'm kind of interested, like, what um, approach... There is for development. I had a quick look. I fired up Visual Studio and created an empty project. And you can see you can use uh, C Sharp or VB or JavaScript or Silverlight or yeah. HTML. Yeah, They're so all you can of... do a whole bunch of different technologies. To yeah, build exactly. Out, which I think is kind of Microsoft's shtick. It's actually really interesting that you say that because this is one of the reasons I've enjoyed developing with Apple technologies. Yep. Is because Apple seems so opinionated. They're like, this there is one way, and we think it's the best way, hmm. and you should do it this way. And you know, it's an unambiguous message from Apple. There's no confusion as I'm going to go a new project. What should I use? Um, and Microsoft has been the opposite. They're sort of like, there's no one way. You can do it however you like: VB, C sharp, F sharp, whatever language you like, whatever. You know, you can use XML for your interfaces if you want, or you can use WinForms, or you could use. I don't know. That is is that the sort of thing that you want from? Like, do you want a, an environment where anything is possible? Like, you had this problem with, with Swift, right? Where well, so th- all of a sudden you can use, like, classes and enums and structs for all of the yes, same thing. Yes, this is what I'm complaining about. Yeah. I, don't like, I don't want a choice. I want, I want there to be a ver- an opinionated... A structure. Yeah. <laughs> I sound like such a... I, I need my structure. I need my constraints. Give me the lines that I can paint within. None of this empty canvas where I'm free to choose whatever I like <laughs> freaks me out. I, I like. I think 
I think opinionated, like being opinionated in that regard, is perfectly acceptable. And I don't think. Oh that, no, I agree. Yeah. I, that's what I like. Um, um, and I'm actually disappointed when you mentioned Swift. I think we've got a really big, like, Apple has gone from being so opinionated where you say, okay, you you want to develop for iOS or Mac, you use Objective C as the programming language, Xcode as the IDE, and Cocoa as your framework, and there's no ambiguity, no question about it. Mm-hmm. Whereas now it's a uh, well, you could use Objective C as the language, or you could use Swift. Yeah, but I think this is just like this is just a, a kind of point at which we're seeing the mm. the tail end of one and the beginning of the other. I think over the course of the next few years, what we're going to see is that that Objective C by itself will probably start to fade out, and people will start using Swift more, and Apple will very likely start to kind of push it more and be more direct as in the same way that all of a sudden they're all like, you guys should use auto layout. That would be really good if you used auto layout and use our new size classes because they make things different sizes Mm. because that's the sort of thing that Apple will do. And I feel like they'll do that with the language as well. Unless they don't. Well, yes, unless they (laughs) don't. (laughs) So um, Coco Java was a thing. Yeah, but that's not a thing anymore, right? Exactly, that's my point. It's like there was there was a period in the not so distant past where Apple's like, okay, so there are two languages you can choose from. You went to I think it precedes Xcode. You went to Project Builder and you go file new and you go new project and like right there there was a Cocoa Java app or a Cocoa app. Um, you know, as peers. Now, I don't think Cocoa Java ever got much widespread adoption um, or mindshare. And I don't know that Apple was really saying this is the future. Yeah. Go and embrace it. But there, w- there was a kind of experiment where they're like, no, no we'll, we will support another language up until the point where they decided not to. And there's a part of me that's just got that niggling little feeling in the back of my mind. It's like, well, what happens if Swift doesn't get as, a, as quickly and rapidly adopted as Apple might hope? What happens if we're a couple of years down the track and people are still, you know, w- would they ever – Backtrack and say, actually, no, it's gone. Or is it? Given that they've de- they've uh, sunk like four years of development into this, and then announced it to announced the world, it to the world and then have spent the last what two months now blogging about it, probably going on to three months blogging about it. it, putting pouring effort into it, like having users testing it and accepting feedback on it, I, I really feel like that's not going to be the case. Like, this is a this is a language that they've poured a lot of effort into and they've poured a lot of time into it, and mm. it may not be perfect, uh, but, it, it like, it's something that I think that they're going to... Um, they're going to want to, like, continue down that path. I, I think so as well. <laughs> I agree. I think it's <laughs> most likely Swift is here to stay and yes. uh, I'm still... But you have a that huge niggling fan of feeling. It. I just have that niggling little feeling like what if Swift turns out to be Coco Java? Like that niggling feeling that you had about classes and enums and structs? Oh, no. I'm kind of... Um, You're over that now. Yeah, think, I'm a little yeah. bit over that. I'm, 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 I've been I think writing be over, enough Swift. I think you'll be over over, over this idea that this Swift niggling will go feeling. Yeah. very shortly. Before we move on, I should probably like introduce the show now that we're like so many minutes in. So, Hi. You are listening to Mobile Couch, and this is a tech show that isn't sponsored by Squarespace. We talk about mobile development, or rather, development for mobile devices, and this show is hosted by Jake McMullen. Hello. And usually Ben Trengrove. 
but he's not here because he got married. Congratulations, Ben. Good work. Good good work. Actually, you know what? That's something that my my brother, my brother sent me a text message when I got engaged that literally all it said was good work. Yeah. Yep. So good work, Ben. And also myself, I also host this show, it turns out, Jelly, a.k.a. Daniel Farrelly. And this is episode number 39? Yes. Sure, I believe you. I believe you. Well, I've got Mobile Couch 38 with Basil Shakara on this paper here. So I'm going to go with 39. Speaking of which, that was a great episode. Yeah? I think that I should go away more often. No, you keep saying this, and I think you should stay and also it's, talk to people that you invite on the show. <laughs> it's so it's so so nice to listen to the show rather than be on it. But, uh, okay, I'll be on it as well. Um, I have some FU for, for that show. Okay. Because I wasn't here. I yeah. just listened to it. And while I was listening to it, I kept wanting just, to... Like, but- just listen to it or listen to it like the other day? Uh in bits. I've okay. listened to it over the course of the last however long it's been. Okay. Um, well, like, obviously you're a big fan of, of Basil and his work. I, yeah. We, we, we uh, deduced that, that yep. during the show. So Completely accurate. Yep. By the way, I think I have met Basil. He doesn't, think, he doesn't remember me, clearly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think we met at... Poor, um, poor Jake. I, well, I could be wrong, but I think we met at a um, Samsung Barter Developer Day. Of course you did. And um see this is this is just like Apple with Coco Java, Samsung with Bada. I don't even know if it's still a thing. Apparently it was gonna be their operating system. Yeah. Wasn't that the one that they were gonna spin off of Android or something? No, with? no, it wasn't at all related to Android. Oh. It was a completely different smartphone like operating completely... system. It was like they were gonna have Was two... this pre Android? No, no, alongside Android. So okay. Samsung was was saying that they would have their smartphone strategy. This is what they told us at the Samsung Bardo Developer Day. Right. Was uh was like a double prong strategy. They were going to have Android on their high end devices mm. and their own Bardo operating system on their lower end but still smartphone devices. Right. And they were encouraging us all to come and develop Bardo apps for low end devices. Mm. With a really horrible C based APIs. Um. Anyway, I think I I think I met Basil there. Maybe maybe I met someone else who I became a This is going to be some, something that we might end up doing, like, you know, feedback every week, just you guys going back and forth. <laughs> Have we ever met? Um, that wasn't my FU. Oh, okay. So um, <laughs> the show, the, the reason I, I thought he would be a good guest, and I think he turned out to be a good guest. I think he did as well. Because he had an interesting perspective on this whole, um, how, can you make it as an indie dev um, question? Um, and I wanted to weigh in a little bit on that. Because I think uh, it's interesting to think about what people's f- sort of motivations are in wanting to be indie, mm. and how people can tell whether they make it. And so, just to like just to clarify, right? You work as you work doing client work. You do it freelance with Ben. Yeah. And would you consider yourself indie? Well, see, this is where I was going. Uh, I don't know. I don't think I need, like, I don't use that term to describe myself. No. So probably not. But I guess um, I think that there are probably lots of motivations people have for wanting to do their own thing when it comes to software. Hmm. And some of those I certainly think apply to me. And that's kind of what I wanted to get at. So 
I haven't found a way to make money selling software to people who want to buy it. Okay. And good on Basil for getting doing as good a job as he is and good on everyone who is able to do that because it seems from the from my perspective it seems really hard. It seems like that's a really hard problem to solve that. Yeah. And it's something that that you have to continually work at. You've got to have a lot of stamina for and commitment to your software products and to keep keep at them and to keep up with the marketing, keep working on them. Um, so I haven't figured out how to do that, but I have found a way to make a living by in writing software. Um, and the way I've done that is to find people who want apps written who are willing to pay to have the apps written. So mm. it's not that there are people willing to buy them in large enough numbers to cover my time in writing the code, but it's there other people out there who want the apps to exist enough that they're willing to pay me the money to cover my time writing code. Yeah. And I think that that's an easier thing to do because these days I think there are more and more people who feel having an app is a necessary part of their business. And they don't necessarily feel like the app has to be a standalone source of revenue that earns enough to cover the cost of developing the app, but they see having an app as valuable enough uh, in what it adds to their entire business that it's worth investing in. Um, so, I mean, that's the sort of, you know, am I, uh, you know, achieving success as, you know, writing code for people. I don't know. I'm earning enough to live on, so yes. Yeah. Um, well, that that would be one way of qualifying success, yes. Um is am I indie? No, I don't think I am. Because well, um, I don't get to exclusively decide what I do, right? I, yeah. I get to decide. Um, well, I mean, it comes down to what you think the independent part of indie development means, yeah. right? Because so I think there are different perspectives. I, I certainly think for some people it means um, having being able to work on producing a software product that is that you're the complete creator of that it's come straight from your mind right. and you're able to give life to it and it's your vision and you can realize it right and that it's a kind of pure vision in the sense that you're not just doing it because someone has paid you to you're doing it because you want this thing to exist exactly um like and i think i think it was john syracuse on atp who was describing it as similar to poetry or music or some other form of creative expression um and i think that can that's probably the Pure indie is, you know, of saying, I want to create a thing in the world. I have a vision of the thing I want to create. I'm going to go off and do it and then find people just to sell it to. Um, I'm certainly not that at all. I think mm. I'm quite a long way from that. But I still feel like I've managed to find a way of working where I am um, able to satisfy similar. Well, you're independent as in like independent of I want to say the man, but you know, like no one tells me what to you do. You don't have a boss. You don't have, uh, you you don't have like a structure in which like you work. You right. you, you work you work for yourself, and so you make decisions. You might not make decisions about like the projects, like how the projects turn out in the mm. end, because obviously you have clients, and the clients make those decisions for you. But. Yeah. Uh, so, I've, but you can kind of steer that, and you also choose the projects that you're actually going to be working on, and kind of you're independent in that sense. Yeah. Yep. I think that's right. So I've got a much greater degree of autonomy than I would have in a in another type of job where I've got an employer. Right. Like like I have in my current um, nine to five 
day job. Yeah, so for example, hours, nine to five Where day I, job. I Whereas, literally go to work and I get given a task and I do the task and then I get given another task and I do that task. Yeah. Yeah. My situation is more where I am, um, I guess I find clients that want work done for them. Um, I, you know, agree to what work I'm going to do and then I figure out when and how to do it. Mm. Um, so I still, I, when you say I don't have a boss, when you do sort of client work like this, your boss, it, rather than having a single person boss telling you what to do, you have however many clients you've got right, all but, telling you what to do. But so I've got like lots of them. It's somewhat different. It, it is. Cause clients are kind of more like customers. They're kind of like a clients are kind of like the midway between a boss and a customer. Yeah. I feel because obviously with like when you when you're producing an app that you're just releasing out into the world aka Basil with B uh myself with GIF wrapped, right? Um you have your own like obviously I you know you, you forge your own decisions and you make the de- you make the decisions about what the app's going to be. B. <laughs> um but on the other hand you've also got You've also got customers, right? And the customers have they will feature feedback. They'll so. feedback and they'll give you feature requests, yeah. and you see how they're using it and how yeah. the customers are like. And so they play into that thing, but yeah. it's not at a. It's not in such a way that you have to listen to them at all. You can completely ignore them and just do your own thing, and that's that's yeah. acceptable. And On the other end of the spectrum, you have a boss who just basically controls everything that you do, and everything like everything goes through that kind of channel of of approval Mm. um and so you have very little control over that and you might be able to you might be able to kind of feedback but at the end of the day like if somebody makes a decision over your head then you have to kind of follow it regardless of whether or not you agree with it Mm. um clients clients kind of fit in that in between space exactly and what what i found is that clients differ so much in where they fit in that in between space some end up being more like a boss that You know, they have a particular view of how things should be done and you can argue to you the blue in the face and in the end of the day they bring down the I'm paying the bill, you do it this way. Yep. And then others can be more like um I guess less like customers or clients and more like co creators, like people who buy into a shared vision that you have for what this product should be and end up working with you to create it. Yeah. And those are some of the most so I guess that's the thing that I found is that through the way I'm working, I'm able to still get a lot of what I see as the benefits of sort of independent software development in the, like, I'm not limited to only working on software that other people have thought about. In a lot of the projects I've worked on, I've actually pitched the ideas to the people who have ended up becoming the clients. Right. So, you you know, it's similar to I've got an idea for some software that I could make. And instead of saying, okay, I'm just going to make it and then sell it, it's like, okay, who might value this software? Who might think that it's worth this software existing so much that they're willing to contribute to the creation of it Mm. through paying me and through contributing their resources? Right. Um, And Canberra's a great place for doing that. We're in the capital of Australia here and there's lots of national cultural institutions. Yeah. And it's great to be able to approach people and say, I've got this idea of an app that could people could use to explore your collection or I've got this idea for an app that people visitors to your organization could use to enjoy the experience more. Mm. Um, yeah. And then you get, so I, I still feel like I've got some creative outlets. Like I get to have some role in 
thinking about and forging the way that this happens. Yeah. Functions and behaves. Yep. But I don't have to deal with the sort of economic bottom line of, okay, if uh, hours in need to be paid for by app in-app purchases or app store yeah. purchases, because that just seems like an equation that I, I can't figure out. Um, well, it's also another, like, that's another kind of uh, version of the kind of uh, economics of sustainability chat that everybody is kind of kind of entwined with this whole can you make it as a developer right because there's this whole thing of like do you put in-app purchases and are they the way that you make it sustainable do you make it like a subscription and is that the way that you can make it sustainable mm. and i've seen blog posts and i'll if i can find the links for them i'll stick them in the show notes um where they kind of detail all the different options and kind of lay out well this is sustainable because as this is a subscription based thing and so because you're getting money every month it doesn't really matter how many people are adding to that it's ongoing and so you get this kind of mm. you know rolling revenue um whereas you know buying like f- upfront payment for an app is not sustainable because once they pay for it you will never see any money from that again mm. um i think what you're doing with the whole the whole idea of pitching taking your idea and your vision and pitching it to somebody else and saying hey look will you pay for this is kind of another step that nobody really has even considered in this discussion At yeah, least I've I not guess, heard it so i guess it it comes down to i guess what motivates you to write software yeah um and for for some people it is because they want to have create a software product and what I'm talking about, you know, isn't really a software product. It's, it's, I guess, a creative way of of getting client work. And in the end, it, it's the yeah. client's product. Yeah. I've just helped them to that's create. That's true, but I don't necessarily think that that can be a like that. That's not inclusive. Like, it's not something that you can't. In- Does this make any sense? Um, I don't think that that's anything that doesn't belong in this set of how do you make like an app sustainable yeah um because i mean at the end of the day i mean you do it for government entities mostly but i mean there are like, a lot there of are, there are a lot of other private yeah. sector places that will will be happy to like take on something that you've that yeah. you've created i mean obviously it's there's going to have to be some back and forth there which but i think the, the general um principle that. that i think there are more and more people for whom the value of an app is independent of how many people will pay to download that app. Right. So there'll be people who value it highly because it adds to their business, mm. whatever their business might be, um, where they might never sell a certain number of copies, but it's worth it's worthwhile them having it. Well, also like they might end up giving it away for free, but because yeah. of the way that it's the way that it's done, like having branding in a in yeah, app, well, like, and the, I guess even beyond branding, having a way of interacting with their customers yeah. that, that wouldn't have previously been possible. And the other thing that I, I think hasn't really been discussed much in this discussion about, you know, is it different ways to make a living writing software, is I think that we are, as software developers, particularly mobile developers, kind of uniquely positioned with, we've got a skill that is becoming more and more necessary for running business these days mm. that other people who might want to start a business don't have. Yep. 
um, and that's we've got the ability to write mobile software. And with that, you could almost, rather than thinking about the mobile software being the thing that, that necessarily earns the money, you could think of it being an enabler for something else that might earn money. So, you know, you might have an idea of, I don't know, a, a way of um, for people to be able to sell um, second things, things that they've bought and want to sell them as secondhand things. That might be your business idea. Um, and if you've got that idea and you don't know how to write mobile software, you're at a distinct disadvantage compared to someone who has that idea and can write mobile software. Because mm. if you're in that second camp, you could just go out and write a really nice mobile app that lets people photograph their things and list them for sale and submits it to a backend like PaaS or Windows Azure or whatever, CloudKit, whatever. Mm. And another app that lets people browse through the marketplace of things that are available for sale. And, um, you know, and that's actually something that as a mobile developer, all of us could probably imagine the code necessary to realize that app. Yeah. And so we could create from nothing a kind of business around buying and selling secondhand goods that someone else who can't write mobile software just wouldn't be able to contemplate. So I guess that's, yeah, where I, you know, I, I, it frustrates me that um, the economics of the App Store have gotten to the point where it's less and less common for people to actually be able to earn a living from getting end users of their software to pay money for it. But I'm still really upbeat about the ecosystem generally because I see mobile apps as being more and more essential to sort of every part of life. Mm that there's got to be ways of earning a living from doing it. And I guess it just comes down to an, that individual choice as to whether the way you find also satisfies the other, you know, itches you might have in terms of being able to be creative. Right, and, and it, comes have down autonomy to a personal, and, it comes down to a personal feeling about what you think. Like if you, I mean, you kind of define success as an independent developer, like differently to, like depending on yeah. how you, yeah how you see that and how you like how you uh take that that actual phrase yeah um, and for me I, I read a great blog post i think it was linked on daring fireball and i'll see if i can find it but it was about an an a person who's probably in a similar situ situation to me saying he defines success as an indie developer by being able to spend his days writing software but in a way that means he can still spend time with his family and and things like that. And that for me, that's exactly it. That it means that I can, I get an opportunity to spend my time um, being creative, having ideas about what software should exist and what features it should have and how to implement it. I get to write code um, and I get to organize my work in such a way that it can accommodate the other things in my life as well. Right. And I mean, you've talked about that before how, like, how your family is very important to you and how, like, how you you put a lot of uh, a lot of um, weight on that aspect yeah. of your life. Yeah. And I think that the, the, the working as I am now, it, it, I'm finding it easier to accommodate that mm. than if I was employed by someone, for example, yeah. because it's, it's, I find it, I think there are fewer employers who would just be as flexible about when you get work done. There'd be expectations yeah. about and being. And especially in this industry. Yeah, I mean, we've been talking. We talked previously about how, uh, like companies like Google, Apple, um, like they're very they're very demanding of their employees. Rather, regardless of all the other stuff that we covered with them, mm. they demand a lot from their employees, and that's why they have the benefits and all that sort of stuff that they do. 
because they require a lot from you, they'll take all of the time that they can get from you if they can. Yeah. Um, and I mean, that, those are extreme examples, but like that happens in that, in this industry, regardless of who they are, they expect a lot from you. Um, hey, speaking of Google and Apple, I've got some other FU. In regards to the diversity stuff? Yeah. Hmm. Do you have a web browser handy? Because I forgot to write the numbers down. You wanted me to look up the Apple diversity report? Well, maybe um, we can just talk generically or edit this bit out, not include it, wait until we can have the numbers at hand. Um, I will look it up. Apple diversity. So you mentioned when we last spoke about this, Apple was going to publish their diversity numbers. Yes. They've done so. They have. And I compared them with Google's. Yep. And it turns out Apple has greater diversity than Google. Really? According to the metrics reported by the two companies. Uh, what, what's the? Do you know where the Google one is? Uh, I don't know, but if you Google... I'm just Googling it. Google diversity. I'm Googling Google. <laughs> You'll find it. And it was something... I mean, they were very close. I think it was something like in one measure of diversity, it was uh, gender. I think both Apple and Google had around 70% male, 30% female employees. So are we talking about in like just overall? So the the um, it seems like there must be some government requirement to report along these lines in the US because both Apple and Google seem to report. They have the same metrics. Yeah, mm. and it's uh, US-based employees and there were th- either overall technology-focused employees and ma- employees in management. Yep. And I think in the technology-focused employees, so US-based technology-focused employees. So gender overall, tech employees, Yep. 80% male for Apple, 20% female for Apple, uh, Google, tech employees, 83% male, and 17% female. There you go. So uh, Apple have got a, f- a few percent. Not much. More not female. by much. Not, not by much. And in both cases, that's pretty appalling, um, given that male think, and female are about 50-50 in general population. I think the main thing that's come out of this, though, um, and a lot of people have kind of remarked on uh, the line that from Tim Cook's report where he said part he's, of the he, report, as CEO, he's not happy with these he's numbers. He's not happy with these numbers. Yeah. Which is excellent. Yeah. Which seems like a weird thing to say, I guess, if you think about it weirdly. <laughs> <We're> but, so, <laughs> we are so happy that you're not happy. <laughs> yes. We are happy that you're not happy. And we are happy that we, we hope that that, well, we hope that that kind of moves into a direction where yeah. this actually gets. Uh, so, but before we start um, reinforcing I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, the direction we like, want them to go in, I just wanted to say the other bit of diversity in those reports is about ethnic backgrounds as well. Right. And in that, it looks like Apple is marginally more, has marginally more diversity amongst their US-based employees yep. than Google. So I think in a previous show, we were hard on Apple. And I, I think I brought this whole topic up by saying yes, you did. I, mean, I noticed that the Google I/O keynote. I'm not going to say that I was right and you were wrong. <laughs> Maybe you were right and I was wrong. I'm willing to. I don't, think, it. I don't necessarily think that that's the that's the whole deal, though, right? I think the whole topic came up and it was kind of it kind of wove around into all these different places. But mm. I think we got to a good place at the end. Mm. And I think the overall thing is like we want to see more. Uh, diversity and we did get some feedback in regards to that in regard like in regards to at least one of our listeners wish we could we would start talking about or that the tech community in general would stop talking about the fact that we have 
gender diversity problems. Gender yes, would stop talking about the fact that we have gender diversity problems and start talking about solutions to said problems. So, on that topic of solutions to said problems, um, a popular IT website, the Register, people might read the Register, um, recently published the Register Australia version. That yep. must be their official title. I published an article encouraging people to be part of the ICT professionals in schools program. And so I had a bit of a look into it and I've ended up sticking my hand up. It's um, an offshoot of this thing called scientists in schools. The idea being uh, teachers who are interested can partner with a scientist to do something mm. with their school group mm. um, to encourage people to get into the sciences. And ICT professionals in school is an IT-focused part of that. So. Um, I've put my hand up to potentially be involved in a um, code coding club, lunchtime coding club with some cool. prim primary school students here in Canberra. Yep. Um, and to me, that's the point at which you've got to start making a difference is that at the primary school age, hopefully both boys and girls would be interested in coding. And hopefully it's not too late. And hopefully the people who are right. helping them learn coding are open to both boys and girls and yep. encouraging of it. Um, I haven't spoken to the teacher who organizes it yet. I haven't, don't know if... Actually, you haven't done anything yeah. yet. Yep. But I'm kind of interested to know, am I going to rock up and there'll be a classroom full of all boys? Or will there be some girls? It, it, uh, what, at what point does this, um, you know, the lack of diversity in coding start? Is it in primary school or is it later? But I think, I think that that's a good, like, that's a good thing. Like adding your time like putting some of your time into like into encouraging young people to get into development whether they be male or female mm. um is excellent i mean regardless in encouraging diversity i mean i hope that there would be a reasonable number of of girls attending different backgrounds attending that sort of thing where whereby you can like you're encouraging not only encouraging people to get into the tech industry in the first place, but also encouraging like a diverse group of people to get into yeah, the tech industry. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think there's a lot, number of things that can be done, but I don't think there's any sort of like what you're doing. I couldn't do. I don't have like, given that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm stuck kind of behind a desk nine to five. Right, and, yeah. Like my boss isn't going to go, okay, well you can go out and you can teach this class with, with whatever. Like they're not going to do that. Right. Because, Oh, man. Yeah, you've got to be at your desk. I've got to be at my desk and yeah. I've got client work to do. Yeah. Um, uh, look, I haven't actually figured out the logistics of it yet. No, no, no. Um, but like, but at least you you have the you have the time available, right? You, and you can make you can make that choice. You yeah. have that choice yeah. as an in, as an independent to do that. I can't make that choice. I have no I have no choice in the matter. Yeah, like, yeah. if I'm told to go and do it, then I can go and do it. But that's not something that I can do. And so I think the point here is like there isn't a cookie cutter solution to the problem. No, because there isn't like it isn't possible for everybody to do all of the things that are available, but you can do things like you can partner with this with the local schools, partner with the local universities. Yeah, we should also put a shout out for there's an organisation called App Camp for Girls. Yep. Um, I think I heard an interview with the person who runs it on Debug previously. Right. I could have that wrong. I'll dig out the links if I can find it. Um, but they're based in the US, and um, school camps are a thing in the US where in the summertime when there's a long break. Yeah, from we don't school, really have that here, do we? Not so much. No. But, um, 
I lived in the US for a while and I went on school camp. It was so much fun. You spend like a week away from your parents doing fun stuff. Mine wasn't coding so much as like movies where they go to camp all about how they don't want to go to camp. I I feel like there's a lot of kids movies where they don't want to go to camp. I don't know. It was cool. I shot Mm. bows and arrows. Cool. And I got my whittling license so I could use a pocket knife, pen knife to whittle. To whittle. Everybody does that. (laughs) But yeah. So cool. App camp for girls is is like a school camp, but instead of uh, canoeing and bow and arrowing, it's they learn how to be archery. That's quite archery, isn't it? Yeah. They learn how to um, uh, develop apps. Right. Um, they they take sponsorships. So if people are interested in supporting this idea, there is um, you know, you can sponsor App Camp for girls. Mm. Um, heaps of ways to get involved. Yeah, I, I think there's a heaps of ways, and you, like it's the sort of thing where you have to think outside of the box. You can't think about like, okay, well, it's just our like, how do I fix the problem in just our environment? Um, because I mean, that's, that's, that's a really good start. Mm. Like if you have a really good environment for, for, you know, people of diverse backgrounds and that's excellent, but that doesn't mean that you're going to be getting people from diverse backgrounds. And I think at that point you need to start thinking outside of yourself and outside of your, in your, you know, internal reach and start actually getting involved with your community yeah. and doing it in that way. And again, that doesn't mean that everybody can do everything. It just means you have to come up with yeah. a way that suits yeah. suits what you are capable of doing and to in order to address the problem. Definitely. And I think maybe the final thing I want to say on this today is that this certainly isn't just a problem that afflicts IT industry. There's a really interesting article on The Conversation. It's an Australian website. I find it. It's got lots of interesting things on it. But um, about gender bias, um, generally so it looks about things that women uh typically earn less than men mm. even when employed in the same jobs mm. um and it looks at uh lot, lots of research that's been done to try and understand gender bias and there are you know really there's there's hard research to support the fact that gender bias is widespread there are things like um where there'll be blind resume tests where identical resumes will be given to a, a random group of potential employers um, and they'll have two random groups and one group will get a resume with a a male name on it and the other group uh, will get the same resume with a female name on it and they'll be asked who would you be more likely to employ Mm. Um, and most of them uh, you know greater than 50% are more likely to employ the the person with the male name than the female name Um, the ones that got the resume with the female name were more likely to um ask critical questions about the person's past experience to like pick out things in the resume to say, well, I'm not sure about this. I'm concerned about that. Mm. Um, all sorts of examples like that. This article goes on, like provides lots and lots of evidence. I think you shared the article and I think I may have read it. It sounds familiar. Yeah. So mm. it's this is not just an IT thing. This is like across mm. all sectors of employment. No, absolutely. There tends to be, you know, actual real measurable bias against women. Um, and you know, the result of it is companies like Apple and Google, although trying to do their best, um, end up with, you know... Numbers, re- the yeah. numbers that, that they have, which are... Almost three-quarters men. Yeah. Which is um, pretty out of kilter, but anyway. Mm. Um, that was just meant to be a little bit of a few. Right. Do we have any more? Um, 
Please no. note that we're doing it this at the end of the episode. John Syracuse would be angry. Hang on. I've, uh, this is the start. I've still got a topic. <laughs> oh, what? I haven't really. Guess what? Guess what I want to talk oh, about tonight. See, I, I, th- I, mentioned, uh, I mentioned, I think, after I finished editing the last episode, right, which was, I think, last Saturday or so, uh, that our episodes tend to run a little bit long recently because what happens is you, Jake, you decide right at the end of the episode that you want to talk about beacons oh my gosh how did you guess <laughs> oh so is, are you trying to tell me that you want to talk about beacons now <laughs> i do but we can just skip that bit if you want no look let's let's uh go into it because otherwise you'll you'll do it at the end of the next episode and it'll just be an ongoing thing i think this by now everyone's realized they're tuning into the uh, beacon podcast well it's like it's, a, it's both the beacon podcast but also ben's book and pronunciation show which mm. this week is on hiatus because ben is on hiatus yes something like that i actually think he's gone somewhere else on his honeymoon I don't know. So you mean he's not in hiatus? Is that what you're <laughs> yes, trying to say? exactly. Is that a place? Is, is there even a place called hiatus? If not, there could be. Is that how you pronounce hiatus? I've got ben, no idea. Ben, where are you when I need you? Um, so I wrote a post on a blog, a blog post. That's generally what you <laughs> That's do? That's my topic. Um, about things to consider when designing iBeacon gallery experiences. I remember you posting that and yeah. then you tried to get me to read it and I was like, ha, already read it. <laughs> yeah, there you but go. you do it. Um, which is so not anything really new there, but just um a few thoughts about. I guess the the new thing is I'm kind of um expressing hopefully expressing myself a little bit better. Basically, I've been continuing to use iBeacons. I'm just starting another project with you do love oh, no, iBeacons. I do, I do love them. Um, I'm starting a new project with the National Portrait Gallery here in Canberra. Um, a beacon based app where. Uh, visitors to the gallery will be able to find out the stories behind the portraits as they move through the gallery. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason I love beacons is because um, I really like this idea that you can get additional context about how people, how and when and where people are using your app. And by having that additional context, be able to kind of get a better guess of what their intent is when they use the app sure, and do stuff automatically. Mm. So in this blog post, I go on a little bit about that. I, that I call it a formula of um, context plus assumptions uh, equals intent. And so I think the point of that blog post was really to point out with iBeacons, I guess too many people can fall for this false promise that they're, they're magical and they can give you, you can go straight from that context to intent. You can say, I can tell you're near a beacon, therefore you must want information about this artwork. Um, and you're skipping over a whole heap of assumptions there. And so that post goes on in a little bit of detail about, um, firstly, sometimes it's hard to tell exactly where you are because of all sorts of yeah. weird things about how radio waves work. Secondly, even if you can determine where someone is, there's a big jump to then assume what it is that they're interested in. Mm. So a lot of the spaces we were looking at at the National Portrait Gallery, um, we'd be able to tell with a fair degree of certainty, which part of a gallery space you're in, like yep. maybe which quarter. Yep. Um, but from, you know, even assuming we knew exactly where you were, um, from a particular position, you could see, you know, you're physically close to three or four works, so they might be the ones you're interested, most interested in at the moment. Um, but you can see maybe 10 works because you can see works across the other side of the room to where you're standing. 
And some of the works across the other side of the room are physically really large, like take up a whole wall. So chances are if, if you were really interested in those big works, you'd actually stand a fair distance away from them to be able to take them all in. Mm. So you can't assume that because you're physically close to one work, you're more interested in it than a larger work that's further away. Right. Because I don't really know what you're looking at or what you're thinking about. Mm. Um, and then finally, I had, you know, there's another scenario where you may be looking, seeking out a particular work, and in fact, it might not be in your field of view at all, but you know it's in that gallery space and you've walked in. And so, yeah, I guess what I was getting at is that need to balance using these technologies to try and get the best context we possibly can about how people are using the app and where they are, minimize the assumptions we're making so that we can, you know, um, have the best guess of what their intent might be. Mm. And I was kind of interested to ask you, I think this is a trend that's going to pick up in apps generally. And I think it's just iBeacons. I think more and more apps are going to use sensors and things around in the world around you to kind of figure out the context and take better guesses. And I was going to ask you if you've encountered that already, where there are apps that kind of do that for you or. Not really, or at least not ones that I would use on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Um, I've used ones like when I went to San Francisco for Dub Dub, um, I put an app onto my phone that would detect a beacon when it got close and alert me that it was coming. Um, the point of this app is that you put a beacon in your in your luggage, your checked luggage, and uh, you can sit off to the side until your bag arrives, at which point you get a notification to say See, your bag is That's now fantastic. Arriving. Aren't beacons awesome? It didn't really oh, work. No. <laughs> <laughs> because And here begins my issue with Estimote and their beacons that don't allow you to change the battery. Oh, the battery was flat. Mm. <laughs> that's it was fine sad. when I left, and it was f- like it seemed to be flat when I. I thought you were going to tell there. me that all of the suitcases coming off the plane had estimate beacons in them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, even then, like you, 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 you assign idea. you assign yeah. the beacon, right? So you, it's not like you're going to get it picked up on by every beacon. Yeah. Um, but the idea is really cool, and had the beacon actually been fully charged and and good like i can see this as being a thing right where it like luggage tags will have beacons in them which can be picked up by an app yeah an accompanying app that will tell you when your baggage is arrived and so there's not going to be like this great big pile of people at at either end of the baggage carousel because that's the direction that they come out and so everybody kind of crowds around the things hoping to get theirs first yep and yeah. meanwhile, you can just sit off to the side. I mean, I did sit off to the side because my bag is bright orange. So that's the other technique. Wasn't use. super difficult to spot it coming. But I reckon. So it's not just. I think it's not just beacons that are giving us this extra context. There's another good example. Um, the motion processor. You know, the fact yeah. that you can tell whether you're walking well, or I driving. I use that all the time, actually. And do you ever do that transition from driving to walking, and it just does that with the turn-by-turn directions? No, but see, I use I use the motion detection, so the M7 chip that's in the iPhone 5S. Yep. Um, I use that with accompanying um, David Smith's a pedometer plus pedometer plus plus. plus. Yep. Um, which I am terrible at. I'm terrible at getting enough steps. I had a Fitbit. I'm I'm orange. I'm orange flat. every day. Uh, but 
you know, I, I do, ch- I check that regularly to see yeah. how I'm going and if I've had bad days and usually my bad days are on the weekend when I don't, you know, walk to work. So the thing that I quite like is that idea of using the sensor to get context for, for some other app. Like, so like when you're going, going from a dry, car, like walking to driving. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, and also, you know, this is where handoff in and, um, the continuous experiences in Yosemite and iOS 8 are going to come in where, you know, your phone will know and your computer will know you've approached with your phone in your pocket. Mm, actually, that's um, another one that I use. I use Knock, Knock to Unlock. There you go. Mm. That's another good one. Um, the so, other thing I yeah. had in that blog post was um something I use all the time where context is used to figure out my intent is uh just the music player on my phone. Um, or a podcast player. If I'm driving my car, I'll have a Bluetooth on and the audio will be coming out from my car's speakers and yeah. I'll pull up at my destination. And before I take the key out of the car, I put the head, my headphones into my headphone port because I want to keep listening. And then I take the key out and get up and go. And the audio keeps playing. Um, yeah, it doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. Whereas if I take the key out before plugging my headphones in, um, the audio stops. And it's kind of obvious, right? But someone's actually coded that. Someone's gone, okay, if, you know, a headphone gets put into the headphone jack, um, then obviously this person wants to keep listening. If there's no headphone plugged in and the Bluetooth thing turns off, then pause it because they won't be able to hear it. Um, hmm. You know, it's speaking I, uh, of audio, yeah, no, you've well, just I, pulled out this. I pulled out most, these headphones. Like, is it headphones or is that a sculpture? The headphones. Um, these I, they they look like a thing of beauty. So the, the reason I'm pulling out these is not to interrupt you and to uh, draw your attention away to these rather marvelously designed headphones. Mm. Uh, these are the Parrot Zik Z I K Z Z for Americans. It's Z. It's not Z. Z Z. Is it? Yes, Z. But that doesn't work when you're doing Doctor Zeus because it doesn't rhyme with B. Yeah, well. Dr. Zeus can't be right all the time. <laughs> anyway, uh, so these these um, these headphones uh, I bought because I've been kind of... I was waiting till September to see, and I think we've discussed this before, that I was really interested in seeing what headphones would be like now that Apple have bought Beats. Yeah. Um, I couldn't wait. I was not... I was not this, capable this your, of waiting. Your commuting... To and from work. Yeah, because I'm walking. walking to and from work all the time. And so I wanted some good headphones that I could listen to. Uh, you will notice, listeners will not because I can't see them. Uh, these are wireless. They don't have a they don't have a cable. Um so the whole point is that I could, you know, have these. I don't have to worry about unplugging a cable because mm. the headphones that I'm using right now are the headphones that I was working to work with, and these obviously have a cable and that's plugged into the amp so i'd have to unplug that and fiddle around with the cable and then you know i'd walk to work um these are wireless so i don't have to worry about that so does bluetooth have support the highest fidelity audio it's pretty good audio it's really nice um so i don't know if i don't know if um you know somebody who is as as fussy about audio as uh for instance marco ahmed would be into these i don't know um, I'm not super fussy about my headphones. In fact, I didn't, I didn't really mind the beats and everybody's going to be all like, Oh, beats, but I didn't mind the beats. The only, the thing that turned me off about the beats was that I, you can't turn off the noise. Do, canceling. They, do they come in bright yellow? 
These don't. Oh, they okay. come in gold, though. Yeah, I saw the wow. gold ones on the way. Yeah, they, the gold ones are kind of, eh, but these ones are black and silver. Um, but the thing, the reason I bring these out anyway, they're nice. They're wireless. They're very pretty. That's all very beside the point. You can get plenty of different headphones that are pretty and whatnot. These have a little, um, little sensor in in the ear cup in one of the ear cups. Um, that has that presses against your cheek when you're wearing them, and so it knows when you're wearing them when you're not wearing them. Right. So, Does you, it- I can take these off, and the audio will pause. Nice. So if I'm listening to a podcast and I walk into work, I don't have to fiddle around yeah. stopping the podcast. So I can just pull, like pull them off and it pauses. And then I can set a time and I have it set to 15 minutes and 15 minutes later, I'll turn off. See, that's awesome. That's exactly the sort of thing I'm talking about. That these days I expect more and more devices should figure out more about the context in which we're using them and do the right thing. Right, right. And um, I, I think, like, I really love that. Like, I mean, I had I tweaked the audio a little bit to make it acceptable for my ears because, to be perfectly honest, the audio was kind of, eh. but the, the you can you can adjust the EQ for these so that you can right. do all that sort of stuff. But the the main thing about these was the fact that it's awesome that you can pull them off and the audio stops. Yeah, that's fantastic can, because that's the kind of standard with response, device. right? Like, if someone walks up to you and you're wearing headphones and you want to talk to them and engage yeah. with them, you just take your headphones off. Yeah, and if it just pauses the audio at that moment, that's that's perfect. That, yeah. I mean, and why wouldn't all headphones do that these days? You know, like a proximity sensor to tell whether something's touching your ear or not mm. is probably a few cents. Um, it's probably about the same price as your resistor. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, my my eighty eighty two ohm. Resistor. I have no idea what yeah. any of those words. <laughs> maybe mean. that's what it is used for. Maybe. Well, maybe. I don't. I don't think so. I think I have had this discussion with Ben before because when I every time Ben being an engineer and having you know some experience with uh, hardware stuff, every time I talk to him about this stuff, I'm like, oh, you know, I pull up all these LEDs because I just, I just would attach them to the battery and I'd go, <laughs> oh, that's interesting. That was, Maybe it was a bad one. <laughs> that was the other option I had for this ICT professionals in schools was to work with a bunch of kids who are doing like robotics and um, Arduinos and things. See, and if like, I was going to do that, I'd learn more than they did. Yeah, I'm like, that would be awesome, <laughs> but I couldn't contribute anything at all except for <laughs> breaking things. Uh, I, I'm useless with hardware stuff. But th- that being said, like, I think that hardware and learning how to do hardware, and I think we need to have Ben talk about this at some stage, mm. Like learning how to do a little bit of hardware and that it's sort of stuff for getting context yeah. would be really is really useful yeah. for many apps. Maybe not all apps. But I can't apps. see GIF wrapped being the sort of app that would use a beacon for anything other than the uh other than the other than the Easter egg that you were trying to suggest that I put in there. Maybe yeah, was, exactly. But, yeah. If someone uses GIF wrapped like at your house, yes. yeah. there should be applause or something. And I don't, uh, I don't want them coming to my house to use <laughs> Gift Raptor so they can get that Easter egg. Um, I, I am, you know, I, I like being left alone. Thank you. Right. <sighs> sorry, sorry. Bad suggestion. Mm, mm, terrible suggestion. Um, I just remembered another app that uses context. Um, I think it is iOS. Maybe I'm imagining rather than remembering. iOS 8 has some feature where if you're within range of your home Wi-Fi, is this right or is this a rumor? Okay. I don't know what you're talking about. If you finished your sentence. You're looking at me like I'm crazy. I thought that there was a thing coming in. Maybe it was just yep. I'm imagining it. 
uh, of where if you're within range of your home Wi-Fi or your home computer or mm. something that gives you the context that you're at home, uh, you wouldn't have to put in your passcode as frequently. I don't know about that. Maybe maybe that's an option. I don't know. Let me have a look at my. But there's another idea. There's another potential source of context is what Wi-Fi router am I near? Side note: Did you notice that um, prior to our uh, after our discussion about uh, the reaction that your phone will have to those two words? Those two words, yes. <laughs> Which I, I, I this won't respond. A, I've turned it off, but also. Nowadays, it only works if you have it plugged into power. Ah, that's why mine stopped working. Mm. Again, context. Maybe. Yes. Well, is it no? I, I had this discussion with somebody. I can't remember who, but it doesn't seem like that would be that much use, given that, like, I mean, you're going to want to use that feature in around, the car, in, like in other places, hands free in the car. Yeah, Maybe that's what it is. But see, then, like, and even then, like, if you're at an office, like, I, like, the only other time that I've ever, the only time I've ever had it to work when I didn't want it to work was other than when I listened for some reason, listened to the episode where you said, Ah, oh, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> the only other time that I've had it not happen is that it, sorry, happened when I didn't want it to happen was at work, which means, like, when you, when I'm at work, when I'm in an office, I have my phone plugged into uh, a thing, and that is, like, a place where you're going mm. to end up in conversation. So this isn't a solution, and I would like to see them do something better, mm. but uh, I forget what I was originally looking at. It was whether or not you could, you would have to enter your passcode. I was going to see if there was, like, a setting or something. For, because you've upgraded to iOS 8 on your, car- on your carry phone. I have upgraded. I have. I, I I took the leap and I did. I have had not any. Had, I, I took the leap and I haven't had any issues. It doesn't seem to have anything, but I okay. Could, not I completely it. imagined it then, but that would be a good one. Um. Yes, I can see that being a good one. Hmm. But I I think having like having context for your devices and gosh, we've we've done a lot of topics today. I think having context for your devices uh, and for the apps that you create is a really good idea. Hmm. And if there is a way that you can do that. Um, if your app is designed around that sort of an experience, then that would be really useful. Yeah, I think so too. I think the thing you just got to keep in mind is not to try and do too much with it. Not well, to yeah. try and, and I don't think it's the sort of much. thing where like you don't want to be shoehorning it into everything and anything. Yeah, you know, just just so that you can do it right. Uh, I think what you need to be doing is putting like is building an experience around that and building your experience around this idea of context. Yep. As and opposed also, to trying to force context into something yeah, that exactly. doesn't really warrant yeah. it. And picking a right degree, like if there's some uncertainty around your assumptions, yeah. then make sure the user user experience and this is what where I was going in my blog post, is um, you know, if you know for certain precisely where someone is and there are only two things that they could look at and you'd know whether they're closest to thing one or thing two. Then you could have a UI that only shows you one thing at a time and automatically switches from one to the other as soon as you move. But if you can't get that, if all you can get to in terms of the best accuracy in terms of understanding where people are and then also uncertainty about, well, what do they want given there are so many different options in this place, Mm. then make sure that the UI accommodates that. So I think with this National Portrait Gallery app, we're going to have something like we'll know for certain which gallery space you're in. Yep. And then within that gallery space, there's a certain number of artworks. We might have a fair idea of which of those works you're most interested in at the moment, 
but we don't know for sure, so we'll probably show you them all. And rather than sort or of or at say, least a selection that you can be guaranteed that they're wanting to look yeah, at. Yeah, exactly. So right. rather than so you know, it'll filter the list down to the works in the gallery space you're currently in, and there are like seven or eight major gallery spaces in the in the whole gallery. Um, rather than saying this is the one right next to you, because you know, I think there'll be enough times where we'll either be wrong about the fact where you are, or mm. we'll be wrong about the fact that that's the one you're interested in, because yeah. you're. You know, well, you don't want to, and you don't want to do that, right? No, when you when you're making decisions based on the user, we touched on making opinionated software before, right? Yes. And so there's it's one thing to have an like have opinionated software that kind of uh, you know funnels the user into like into doing things a specific way, uh, but it's a whole other thing to make decisions for the user where you could possibly be wrong. Yeah, exactly. Um. And I think also like touching on things like context and stuff, you also want to kind of be considerate about the sort of things that you're doing with that context because sometimes that can come across as being kind of creepy and yes. you don't generally want to be doing that either. Like you, you gotta you kinda of gotta balance yeah, exactly. what you're doing. Exactly. Um, you gotta use the best information you can to take the best guess at what they might want and you know, and maybe narrow the range of options based on that. Yeah. Rather than sort of saying jumping immediately to, you know, I, I think it's still lots of cases where the user still needs to make an explicit choice, mm. but you can help them. Yeah. Well, that's the whole the idea of having got. like of funneling yeah. the user in, into a specific, like making that choice, but not making that choice in such a way that you could be doing like something that they don't actually want. Yeah, exactly. Like they could be standing in front of a tiny little portrait, mm. but then actually they've got their back to that. They're looking at the one that's across the room that's actually gigantic. Yeah, exactly. And so And that would just be infuriating if you Yeah, and so you'd no be like, oh, like oh, switching can, you'd have yeah. to walk up to the painting and you'd be like, okay, now I can see the, the yeah. information about this painting, but I can't look at the painting because I'm like right here and it's like in front of my face. And, and it's, it's funny kind of like this. It's the, the sort of magic software like this drives you nuts the one or two yeah. times it gets it wrong. It's yeah. like you could do it the right thing 99 times out of 100, but the one time out of 100 does the wrong thing. It's like it completely destroys your confidence in it. Yeah. And I think that I think that, that you're right. You need to allow the user to make choices when uh when it's appropriate mm. in order for that to so that you don't get that stuff wrong. Mm. Um but you can also at the same time like funnel those choices into right. You can, and you can remove One. like irrelevant information. You can sort of yeah. say, like, I know you're nowhere near this other gallery space. So I'll just hide all of those works. Right. And um, yeah. And I mean, this is, it kind of comes down to UI design in, in general, right? Because you want to funnel the user into making certain decisions. You know, GIFRAP wants you to share the GIFs. So you've got to, like, the idea is to funnel them into using that function. Maybe they don't do that well enough. Maybe I do. I don't know. Is that what it's for? I thought it was just for having a collection I could look at from time to time. Well, you can do that as well. I like to look at them sometimes. <laughs> you know, pictures of Emma Stone giving thumbs up. I don't know. Who's Emma Stone? <laughs> it's, it's, Never mind. Is she an actor? Yes. All right. Okay. You would have seen her in movies such as Easy A. Oh, right. Yes, I've seen that. Yes. Yeah. And... Also, other movies that she's in, who's which names I cannot yeah, remember. I'm sure she's in other movies as well. She's she looks familiar. Yeah, 
you would know her mostly from me, probably from EZA. She's in a new movie at the moment with Colin Firth. I can't remember what it is, but it looks kind of weird. I'm the sort of person that when I watch a movie, I always say, in fact, I, I swear I was talking to Ben the other day about a movie going, yeah, the one with Brad Pitt, and we went on for some time before he went, yeah, that movie doesn't have Brad Pitt. <laughs> <laughs> I'm that person. I'm like, oh, isn't that so-and-so that was in such-and-such? And, such? and everyone's like, no. So, no, it's not so-and-so, and so-and-so wasn't in such-and-such such anyway. Right. Hmm. Right. Well, if you would like to read any <laughs> of the things or watch any of the things or peruse any of the things that we have talked about today, you can do that. Jump onto our website for the show notes, they are at mobilecouch.co forward slash 39. Did you see our new website? It is schmick, I must say. I designed it myself. I'm typing it in now because I don't know if I have seen it. It's purple. Yeah, I think I remember seeing purple. Hmm. I did show it to you because I did show you the about page and it has an has oh, yeah, about, yeah. about page. I yep. got you to read your about section to make sure it, it is factually correct. It is factually Cause correct. Because we're all about factually correct information here. Except at the moment, I'm not wearing blue. I'm wearing green. Oh well. So you're... the image isn't up to date as per your current uh, clothing. <laughs> All right. And therefore, and also mine is not either because my hair is way longer than it is in that photo. That photo. But that's my that's my looking off into I don't know into your eyes photo. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what I'm looking at, but it's I'm I'm kind of got my. Mm. It's that sort of mm. pensive. Pensive look, yeah, mm. yeah. So while you're while you're reading the show notes, people, you can you can go and have a look at those photos there. You can also get in touch with us and tell us that we're super super wrong and that we should just stop, stop, stop talking, just stop talking about whatever that is that you have a problem with. You can send us an email, hello at mobilecouch.co, or if you are so inclined, you can go to mobilecouch.co forward slash contact. You can also get in touch with us individually. Jake is J McMullen on Twitter. That's J M A C M U L L I N, and I am at Jelly Bean Soup. Ben is at Ben Drengrove. B E N T R E N G R O V E. He's not here. But everyone can send him tweets to say congratulations. Say congratulations because the guy got married. It's pretty awesome. And there was a selfie of him and his newly new wife, newly newly wed partner in crime. Yes, in not crime, and uh, they they were very they seemed very happy and lovely. Couple. Looked looked very lovely. Thank you everybody for listening. It's been amazing. It's been great to talk to you again, Jake. We look forward to seeing everybody talking to everybody in two mm. weeks' time. Ben will be back probably. Maybe we'll talk to you then. Bye. Bye.